0: particularly special episode. Cyan is gone this week, as we mentioned at the end of the previous episode, and I am joined by the wonderful Laura Towler, the Deputy Leader of Patriotic Alternative in the UK. How are you, Laura?
1: Hey, I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you?
0: I am fantastic, and I'm I'm really excited to have you on. You know, you and I have, we occasionally shoot messages back and forth privately and kind of share little snippets of news and stuff, but we've never really sat down for a conversation before so i'm very excited
1: yeah me too we we do talk quite a lot on on telegram don't we whenever there's like new statistics released (laughs) or anything like that we usually have a bit of a chat about it but yeah i I love the white papers page it's really really good i like to follow along with it i know mark really likes it as well um and it's it's kind of it's the information that I think a lot of people don't want to have to dig through themselves so the fact that you go and research it all and then you present it to people in such a succinct and easily understandable way I just think it's absolutely worth its weight in gold so congratulations on your project it's doing really well.
0: Well thank you very much you know it was it was fascinating kind of when I started the project the whole point was to sort of save people from having to dig because it can be so laborious when You know, you're doing the work that we do or you're involved in the politics that we're involved in and you're constantly scrounging for statistics. And, you know, a lot of people don't know where to look for this stuff. So that was kind of the whole point was to make these little succinct presentations. I try to keep the posts under 250 words on the telegram, pack them with links and just kind of let people run with them. So I'm really happy you like it. And I have said to you privately before with Patriotic Alternative, I think you guys set the gold standard in what modern nationalist organizing looks like, both on the, the social front and it just every way that you organize, I think, is fantastic.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm not really sure what to say to that. Um, we we We're trying to do things differently, you know, instead of just trying again to stand in elections or just being a a street movement that kind of march and marches and just gets ignored by the government we're trying to focus in we're trying to focus on building our own community and building our own network of people and being as self-sufficient as possible so that even relates to things like we have an alternative curriculum for parents who want to home educate their children so people can download that content for free on our website it's really good content it's created by teachers Um, And then we do stuff where we have like a homeless outreach, where we go out and we help our people who have been abandoned by the government. And it's just about not relying on the state, really, or not expecting them to treat us fairly, but about about paving our own way and creating our own path. Um, And we've been going now for three and a half years. um, And we have around 18,000 people signed up on our mailing list. But obviously all 18,000 of those are not active activists. Um, We do have hundreds of activists across the whole country and every week, you know, if you follow our telegram and check out our website, you can see that we're out at various places all over the country doing stuff, whether it's cleaning up local areas or doing these big street protests or handing out leaflets or just getting together and having socials. But yeah, we're focusing on self-sufficiency, really. I'd say that that's our our main thing. Um, we like to raise awareness about certain points and we act as a pressure group as well. So we have put pressure on the government to do a few things and, and succeeded. So, for example, closing down migrant hotels or uh, cancelling Drag Queen Story Hour events because we kick up, <laughs> kick up a big fuss about things, get a lot of people there. And then the government are like, oh, I'll close that down for an easy life. Um, and then we move on to the next thing. So it's it's going well. And like I say, we've only been going for three and a half years, so we're still very much in our early days, but we hope to continue building on what we've already been doing and uh, maybe start some new, new things in the future as well.
0: That's, that's really fantastic. I was actually thinking about this because about an hour before we came on, you shared that goofy article in The Guardian. Now, I know everything in The Guardian is goofy, but that article by CN Norris about how <laughs> trad wives in frilly dresses are frightening. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and it made me think of of Bowling Alone, which is a book by Robert Putnam. But the point is, she's not women like like Sandoris. Norris. She's not really afraid of frilly dresses. What I think she's afraid of is that women who are sort of in our circles tend to be a lot more confident and they're a lot more active in sort of civic life. And that leads to building alternative institutions like what PA does. So I th- I think that's what that article is sort of representative of. Is she's afraid of the alternative institutions that you're so active in building?
1: Yeah, I, I think that they. I mean, they, they have painted us in a way. Doesn't the article start with something to do with husbands, like disciplining or spanking their wives or something like yeah, that? Yeah,
0: that was really that was really bizarre.
1: Yeah, so the, I do think they've. I mean, I, I wouldn't really say that I'm a, a trad wife. I mean, I'm, I'm married. I'm, I'm a mum. My husband and I have very. I'd, I think we do have sort of traditional roles within the household, but obviously, I work in politics, and I wouldn't say that that's traditionally a a female thing. Um, so we 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 do balance each other out, but I I do think that they they can't just assess us as, as as we are. They have to make it into this really sort of bizarre thing where like your husband puts you over his lap every night and and slaps you if you haven't washed up properly, you know that kind of thing. That's the image that she's putting out, when it's not grounded in reality at all. I don't think they can actually assess us as we are because we are just normal people and a lot of women in nationalism are really feminine because nationalism is, you know, about doing what's natural. We've always had different groups of people, we've always had separate tribes who've stuck to themselves and the traditional gender roles where you sort of embrace your sex, whether you're a man or a woman, that is also going along with nature so I do think the two things go hand in hand but they they can't just look at us like that they have to make it into some sort of weird creepy thing that it isn't uh, and then assess that you know rather than just being genuine and honest about us and I knew that that woman when I looked at a photo I knew exactly what she'd look like before I looked at her I and know she, me she's too she's <laughs> just she's just a typical feminist um that you know the hair and the the bright red lip and the outfit and stuff yeah <laughs>
0: And yeah, she looks she's look like she looks like she wakes up every morning in an extremely bad mood.
1: she does, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's
0: yeah. Just, but sort of while we're on the subject, uh, we I got a little distracted. that's my fault, but I really quickly wanted to talk about Sven Longshanks because that's such a huge uh, sort of political earthquake in our circles in Britain. you know, he was sentenced to two and a half years, was it last time I heard? Yeah, he, um, so there was
1: 15 counts and he was found guilty on ten of them and found not guilty on five of them. Uh, so he was sentenced to two and a half years, um, but in Britain basically you, if it, I think if the, the sentence is under seven years, don't quote me on that but I think that's right, you usually serve half of it in prison and then half of it outside. So we're hoping that he'll be out within well sometime maybe autumn next year uh, if he behaves himself <laughs> and he will behave himself. Um, he's just a really sweet, gentle guy, but he is classed as being one of the most dangerous convicts in the prison. So he's got his own cell and he's kept away from everyone else because he's such an extreme guy, apparently. Um, so hopefully he'll be out next, uh, next autumn, really. So he'll do just over a year.
0: That, that is remarkable to me. Number one, that Britain is sort of manufacturing political prisoners, right? I, he, he's in prison for for politics, not for what I think anyone would consider a real crime. Yeah. And it, they have they have decided that those politics warrant him being labelled one of the most dangerous people in the prison.
1: Yeah, it, it's basically, it relates down to him using language on uh, Radio Albion, which is his website, um, that is not considered PC today. So... Uh, I won't repeat the words he said because they'll come after me next but it's basically just using words that it was acceptable to use like 10 years ago and now it isn't acceptable to use and all of these counts of racial hatred they're not from like this week or even this year they're all historical ones you know from before Patriotic Alternative existed so they've gone through all of his shows and listened for him saying words which are not PC because you know language changes consistently Um, and, and that's what he's been found guilty on Uh, obviously he talks about a a lot of historical things as well he talks about the second world war and british fascism and stuff and because he assesses these things from just a a, an academic perspective you know digging through things and presenting things and just discussing the truth because he does that but he's not always like you know presenting things the way that the the mainstream want to present things They've, they've said that he's an extremist but he he's an academic and he's just a really nice gentle guy like he wouldn't say boo to a goose he's not a danger to anyone to anyone he's not an extremist he's not violent he's not aggressive anyone who's ever met him knows that he's just a really sweet guy so it's disgusting but we are in touch with him we've got a fundraiser going for him which has raised um we've got over six thousand pounds from the fundraiser and some cash which has been posted into us and we're basically just sending him a little bit every month so that he can buy everything he needs so he's really comfortable in there um, He can buy, like, letters and stamps and stuff and write everyone letters. And then we're going to give the rest to him next year when he gets out. And then he can use that just to get back on his feet. But he's he's got a good team around him and he's he's close to his parents and stuff. So I think he'll be OK. It's just it shouldn't it shouldn't have happened, should it? This should not happen to people for what, it, the, it, what they're it, saying.
0: Exactly. This. It, it's just remarkable that <laughs> that is the state of the modern political situ- the situation in, in the modern state and Britain to begin with, and for the audience, I'm going to put the give, send, go link in the description of the podcast when it goes up and on the Telegram. So I encourage my audience to please go support Sven Longshanks; he deserves it. I have I talk I talked to him once very briefly in a Telegram chat. He's a wonderful guy. So I I very I, he probably doesn't even remember it was a big chat, but I I hope that everyone considers please going and supporting him.
1: Yeah, and also if if you are able to, I'm sure we'd appreciate people writing letters to him as well. Um, he'll probably get a lot during the first couple of weeks, and then it'll quieten down for the rest of the time that he's in there. But I've made a pledge to send him a, a letter every month, um, and if other people could do the same as well, you know, I've, I've got friends who have been in prison, and and they've said that the letters really kept them going, you know, and the visits and stuff while they were in there. So we've got some information on the Patriotic Alternative website about how you can send him a letter. I have heard that if you if you get really political in the letter, they do stop it from getting to him. So maybe write about non-political things if you can think of anything to say. Um, and I know we appreciate a letter as well.
0: I'm sure. I'm sure when you're when you're kind of stuck in the slammer like that, it'd probably be nice just to hear about the normal world instead of just politics. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. I'd want to know. I'd want to know about the the normal world as well. Um. That sort of uh, brings me on to the next point I have in my prep here, which is uh, have you been following the online safety bill that's making its way through Parliament?
1: Yeah, it's been going through for a, a very long time now. I know that they they stopped it, uh, and then I think they, they brought it back again recently. Um, but it's it's one of those things where they're going to keep pushing it until, until they get it through. Um, it is getting a lot of pushback over here. A lot of people are talking about it, even mainstream people uh you know like the sort of conservative pundits and stuff that you get on tv they're even talking about it which is a a good sign but um yeah I mean it's just it it seems that this is going on every well every western country at least um I mean what can we do we're already like completely having to do you can't talk openly and honestly because you know that they're going to take something that you say and misrepresent it um, so you just have to be so careful with the way that you say things. And this just seems to be like an, another layer of that, really, where they're just taking our ability to do anything away from us and, and trying to take more and more and more.
0: Well, now, they, now because they can't, they can't catch you on saying anything publicly, they want to be able to scan your phone. So they'll, they'll catch you on anything you say privately, which is, seems to be the whole point of this bill. At least the, uh, I found an article that mentioned Meredith Whitaker who oversees the Signal app, which a lot of us use, I use it personally. And she was saying that this will basically eliminate privacy on encrypted chat apps. The UK government wants complete access to be able to scan your communications.
1: I think this is why it's so important that you you just need to, everything that you say, you need to act like you're saying it publicly. And at, at Patriotic Alternative, we have a code of conduct where we prohibit the use of racial slurs. And if anyone's, you know, fed posting or saying anything about violence or whatever, that gets nipped in the bud straight away. Um, I mean, the people who are like genuine don't do that anyway. But I always kind of worried about maybe an antifer or a journalist coming in, you know, and saying something like that and then screenshotting it and pretending that it's us. So because of that, we have a code of conduct, which makes sure that people are just very sensible with the way that they talk at our events and also in our chats as well. So I, I would be comfortable that, if the government did check out our personal chats, there would be nothing on there, which is illegal anywhere because we're so careful. But again, just like Sven shouldn't have gone to prison, they shouldn't be able to do this because it's so intrusive. Like you should be able to have a conversation with your friends and your colleagues without thinking that the government are snooping on everything that you're saying. And they'll, they'll say, oh, you know, we want to stop extremists and Islamic terrorists and all this. But what they'll do is they'll use it on the right because they're the ones that they want to paint as being the bad guys. So they'll use it on, you know, nationalists and patriots and stuff and and try and um, fudge the statistics so that it looks like there are more right wing extremists than there actually are.
0: Well, we we already know they're going to do this. So the both the, the Parlo- Parliament in Britain and the European Union have been using the and I say the word excuse lately, but they're using the excuse of child sex abuse on the internet and saying that this is designed to prevent child sex abuse on the internet, which sounds like a worthy cause. And I think in, in a vacuum is a perfectly worthy cause, but we can already look at countries like Ireland who, when they receive information about suspected cases, even if they can't you know, prove a case, they retain the information from people's digital devices without their knowledge And this is political information. This was revealed by the Irish Civil Liberties Council. So we already know that governments are going to use this for political persecution instead of their purported purposes.
1: Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's a difficult one with the child sexual abuse because you you do want them to be able to stop that. And you do want them to be able to have the power to look into people that they suspect. But... It's a double-edged sword, I guess, isn't it? Because you, you do not trust the government and you, you do not trust them to use that power responsibly. Um, so it's, I, th- I do think it's clever them saying that because who can argue against, you know, pedophiles being stopped? Nobody can and nobody wants to. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't trust their uh, intentions at all.
0: Well, I mean, we've, we've had the internet for decades now and there are dozens of different investigative techniques that they already use to track these people down. So I, I'm i not convinced that the right to scan everyone's phone is going to be that much more of an effective tactic other than to come after people with dissident political beliefs.
1: Well, it, I mean, I wonder what, what powers it will give to police then, because who will be scanning through the phones? And that means that the government would have more power than the police, because at the moment, if the police turn up at my house and they're like, can we come in? I'd be like, no, you can't come in. And I have, I have the ability to do that, uh, unless they have a warrant where you know I'm under arrest and they have the right to come into my house. I can say no. Uh, I can say I'm not passing you my phone. I'm not letting you in my house. I'm not talking to you. I'm just going to say no comment to you. But under this new um, uh, new new bill, it's like that they, they can bypass that. Do you know what I mean? They can they can just look through everything anyway. Um, so I wonder I wonder how it will link with law enforcement.
0: Yeah, that ha- I was looking at the House of Lords report and I couldn't find precisely how they're going to do it on the local level other than it will be done through the Home Office. And the Home Office has all kinds of <laughs> intelligence assets to, at its disposal. It doesn't have to go through local police forces. So it's it's very nebulous.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's what we expect from them, isn't it? And it, it's not going to get any better uh, with you know, the Labour Party in charge, many things will get better, uh, sorry, many things will get worse with, with Labour in charge. Um, but, you know, we. <laughs> I think that the Conservatives are the party that we sort of counter the most, because they're, they've been in power for 13 years now. And, you know, I don't know if we are going to go through the immigration figures, but worse and worse, well, we and are. worse every single year. Um, so it's not like we can say, please, Tories, stay in so we don't get Labour. It's just as bad. But it doesn't really matter which government we have because both of them will do this and both of them will use it to attack patriotic British people.
0: Indeed. and, and it, it, it don't, You don't want to talk about immigration figures or they might come after you, but that's exactly what we're going to do. You wrote that wonderful short article on patriotic alternative recently, Tories break immigration records again <laughs> for the, yeah, for only, again. the for only the 13th time, uh, you know, <laughs> consecutive.
1: Uh, w- yeah, well, I, I went back to their uh, promises from the their two thousand and nineteen manifesto, and these new figures, uh, was it three times higher than what they promised, or four times higher than what they promised? And that was what four years ago now. So, I mean, they they, they were blaming the immigration figures that they inherited from the previous government, and it's like you've had thirteen years; you can't do that anymore. You know, it's you it's you who who have kept the borders open and it's you who've been inviting all these different groups over, whether it's Hong Kongers or, you know, letting the illegals rock up on our shores in boats and sticking them in hotels. It, it's you that's doing that. You can't shift the blame. You should have been able to sort it out in a couple of years, never mind 13 years. Um, but yeah, like we said, it's just no one's surprised. Nobody's surprised that the Tories are just getting worse and worse and worse.
0: So you went back to 2019, which was the manifesto under Theresa May. I immediately, while I was reading your article, immediately thought about David Cameron's election pledge, which Theresa May was his home secretary at the time, or immediately after the election, rather. He promised to get it to tens of thousands a year, and he never did. It was 350,000 a year by the time David Cameron left office.
1: Gosh, Yeah. It's just, but this is the kind of stuff we need to put out there and and let everybody know because we are still stuck in this two-party system in Britain, where people rather than voting for a party that they like, they vote for the least worst of the two big parties, and they seem to punish one party by voting for the other one. So now Labour are doing very well in the polls because people want to punish the Tories for their betrayals, uh, and that includes, I think, stuff like you know the lockdown and like Boris Johnson going out and partying and all that kind of stuff as well, not just immigration. So now Labour are doing very well in the polls, but if we can keep highlighting to people, none of these two parties are on your side. They've lied here, they've lied here. I do hope eventually that people will just think the system is so broken and sticking up for one of these parties over the other one isn't going to get me anywhere. Uh, I don't have any belief that like, you know, 90% of the population are going to come round to our ideals, but I do hope that more and more people will kind of trickle away from the two-party system and look for something different. And hopefully find us a patriotic alternative and and begin organizing in that manner instead.
0: Well, it already sounds like more and more people are. I mean, the the remarkable thing when I look at your activities in Britain is that you actually get covered by the media. You know, when groups groups in America or continental Europe do stuff, the media generally understands not to cover it because most publicity is good publicity, so they understand not to cover it. But the the British media are like they're such kind of lathering simpletons yeah, who are just
1: help themselves. They, they yeah. just they can't help themselves.
0: It's um, it's really it's hilarious. Bad. Really, I, I love I love seeing it.
1: Yeah, we we become very good at getting the media to bite. So we know what to do to uh to, to get the media to bite and write articles about us, and they do every single week and and every single time the vast majority of the comments below the article and the vast majority of comments on social media, whether that be Facebook, Twitter or somewhere else, are in support of us. And every time it happens, we get more and more people signing up with us because they they underestimate the British public. They think that everyone is, you know, a pearl-clutching liberal, whereas they're not. Most people are just normal, down-to-earth, patriotic people. And when they read these articles and they see far-right, neo-Nazis, bigots and all this kind of stuff, they, they see through it. You know, even like my elderly relatives understand what's going on now they understand that all of the couples in the adverts are mixed race couples black man white woman they see it themselves my grandma's sister was saying the other day that she watches these it must be like some cable tv romance films or something and she says they're all, they're all now with a black man and white woman she's like i turn them off when i see when i'm sick of it <laughs> so everyone's just seeing it um, and the media just underestimate the british public because most people are not like you know woke or whatever to use their terminology most people are not in favor of diversity quotas and and you know extreme feminism and open borders and all this kind of stuff people are just normal um so it backfires it it backfires every single time and it's it's brilliant to see
0: i get it i get a laugh absolutely every time but you know one thing that worries me you mentioned the sort of the polling swing where labor has pulled ahead I do really worry that the conservatives will lose power. Labor will get into office. They'll have four years where immigration is even higher. And the Tories will say, well, it would have never been that high under us. So that's, that is something sort of politically I still really worry about, people being trapped in that dichotomy. And, and as you mentioned, it is something we have to figure out how to, how to break. And I can't think of any other way other than to just cover the figures and hammer at home.
1: Yeah, well, I've been speaking to Mark about this because obviously Mark is—he's um, got two two decades of experience working in nationalism over two decades now, and he uh, he says that under left-wing parties, if we if we can say left-wing, they're not much different from each other. But under parties like Labour, nationalist uh, groups and organisations and parties seem to absolutely thrive. Um, so I think if if Labour did get into power, I do think that Pierre would be even more successful than we are now because people see a, a pro open borders pro lgbt party in power they're not called the conservatives obviously the conservatives are not actually conservative but they it, it's more transparent Do you know what i'm saying it's it's like more open it's more hostile towards us and i think that's a good thing because um we have a guy in yorkshire he once said that the um what was the phrase, it was something about like that L- Labour will murder you and do it very openly but the Tories will stab you in the back and it's the same result and and it's true, at least Labour are honest about what they want and I think that's a good thing for us. So I do hope that under a, a Labour government um, nationalist organisations do thrive even more so than we are doing now and I know that the Labour party want to push to change the electoral system as well so it's not, um, you know, it's, it's more... Re- is proportional representation where if you get a smaller percent of the vote you still get some representation in parliament that, that is what we need as, as smaller parties and smaller organizations so that's something that we could support but um yeah i just think that it, it, everything will be more honest and open if labor were in power and hopefully that would give us an opportunity to to thrive and 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 offer like opposite solutions to what they're they're giving us
0: well i know the liberal democrats still support uh proportional representation so if we can get a lib dem labor government that might actually finally happen (laughs) that would be that would be really nice unfortunately i think the agreement when they were going to try to do it under the lib dem conservative government was that it was going to be put to a referendum and i don't think in the polling it would a majority of people ever supported it because they think it's going to take away their local mp so there's Definitely a bit of an uphill battle there, but it would be a good thing. I completely agree.
1: It would be a good opportunity to just raise awareness about how the system is broken and it's set up in order to leave us powerless. Uh, even if the result at the end of the campaign wasn't exactly what we wanted, it would be a good journey, I think. And it would you know, let people understand how um, it's just almost impossible to make any grounds in politics in Britain. And I think by highlighting that thing, um, that, that option, hopefully that would make people consider other ways of fighting back as well. And, and again, hopefully that would grow our numbers.
0: I always think of the, oh goodness, what general election was it? There was a general election where UKIP got something like 15% of the vote, the national vote. And oh they, yeah, they
1: got like and they 4.8 million votes or something.
0: Yeah. And they got no seats. Yeah, Yeah. 3.8. I'm looking at 3.8. 2015, 12%, 13% of the vote, effectively 3.8 million votes. And they took, they took one seat. Yeah. That is just, so there's definitely millions of people there to, to sort of tap into.
1: Yeah, that, and that's a very good statistic to share with people. You know, we can say 3.8 million people had no representation. That's a massive amount of people. Um, and these are the things that we need to keep bringing up when, when we're pushing for this kind of thing. But yeah, I, I mean, I think a, a lot of the public are scared of change and they are quite comfortable. So they'll have a little moan on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, but then they'll just go back to their normal lives. I mean, we get people signing up with us at Patriotic Alternative and they kind of register with us and, and I'm, you know, I'm sick of all this. I want to do something, I want to fight back. But then they don't actually get active. They become an activist. They, they they go through the vetting system and then they begin receiving invitations to events. But then when it actually comes to coming out and doing a street protest or leafleting or doing something to give back to our people, they don't actually take that next step. I feel I feel like they kind of feel like they've done their bit just by signing up. Um so I, I think for some people it is going to take like a massive kick up the backside for them to actually want to implement change themselves. A lot of people just leave it up to other people, I think, which is a shame.
0: I actually did a whole show with Alex McNabb, sort of centered around this, how the internet, and we we pulled out a bunch of studies, but basically the internet creates a group of people known as slacktivists, who, because they participate through the internet, feel like they're Active in a political scene when in reality all they're doing is consuming content. Naturally, we want people to consume content, but content that is relevant to real-world activity, not just, you know, a stream moaning about, you know, the WEF or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think that um, there's, I'm not sure if it's the same in other countries, but we have quite a lot of drama between uh, activists and content creators in Britain. And I've always thought that we should work together. So, you know, content creators that have big platforms should help to share IRL activism and get people funneled into solutions. And then um, people who do IRL activism can have a good relationship with content creators and and give them content to talk about, but also appear as guests on their show. And, and it should be a two way street. But in Britain, the two groups are always arguing. The, t- the, the activists are always calling the content creators grifters, and then the Content creators are always saying that the activists are thick and stupid and they're not intellectuals and it will be intellectuals that change things for the future. Uh, It's just so disappointing to see. I I just think that the two groups complement each other and should be building each other up. Uh, And I do think that if you're out there full time creating nationalist content, it doesn't hurt you to just give a nod towards an organisation that's providing solutions. Even if you don't want to be an activist yourself or if you can't be for whatever reason, you can just say, hey, followers, you know, I've got 50,000 people who follow me. Have you seen this group? Does anyone fancy becoming an activist and and getting involved with them to do some good stuff? Um, But unfortunately, a a lot of content creators don't tend to nod towards uh, solutions. I'm not sure if if it's because it then means that they're not a solution. Um, But I just, I wish that the relationship between the two groups was better. Uh, What are your thoughts on that?
0: No, I, I certainly agree. And one of the sort of philosophies of white papers is that everything we do is designed to support real real world activity, right? So obviously we have the policy papers on the PA website. We have consulted with American nationalist groups and Swedish nationalist groups. And, and I can't imagine sort of doing what I do and creating all of the things I create and it not serving a purpose for all of the groups that are sort of out there on the ground like PA. I, I don't know what the point behind the work would be if that wasn't the case.
1: Yeah, I think we've we've really moved past just kind of pointing things out nowadays. Um, I mean, I, I I've been involved in nationalism for seven years, I think now, and I started off with Defend Europa, which was a still is like a European uh, news and opinion website. So I started off writing articles and then uh, I made my own YouTube channel uh, because I could reach more people by creating videos rather than writing articles. And then I had YouTube. But then once Mark created Patriotic Alternative, I was straight there with him because I was like, right, this is what we've all been waiting for. You know, we've all been talking about things for a long time now, but let's get involved now and, and start pushing back and creating solutions. Uh, but for a while, we didn't have anything like Patriotic Alternative. We had some sort of civic nationalist groups, maybe groups like For Britain and, and Britain First, but they weren't honest about all the issues that we face. And they were kind of, well, st- I still, I mean, For Britain have closed down now. Britain First, I kind of feel like they're maybe just, you know, chugging along in elections, or trying trying to make ground in elections, um, whereas PA, I, I would say, is a, a bit more radical. Um, but now the option is here and it has been here for three and a half years for people to get involved. Um, there's not really an excuse to to not at least advertise that group to other people anymore. And obviously it's the same in uh, the States with the NJP, who we have a really great relationship with. Um, we had a guy from the NJP who was over here in Yorkshire last month and he spent some time with us and came out and did some leafleting and stuff. Um, and it's nice to support Nationalist organizations across the world, and we've got a lot of um, friends in, in Europe and places like Australia and New Zealand as well. Uh, I feel like over the last few years, we really have moved off the internet into the real world. It's good to see.
0: Uh, yeah, I completely agree, and that kind of that ties into. I wanted to ask a little bit about this, the nationalist unity event you attended. That I am I'm very yeah. curious, sort of. What really came of that, obviously networking in itself is a reward, but can you sort of tell me what what arose from that little event
1: yeah, so we have um we had, we have a group in England called the Independent Nationalist Network, which is run by a guy called anglo Joe, and Anglo Joe used to be in patriotic alternative, but he fell out with his regional organiser at the time. Now his regional organiser has now left, so that's not a problem. Um, So he he set up his own group and there's always been a bit of, I don't want to say drama because nobody's been unprofessional, but the two groups have not really got on, so the INN and and PA. Um, However, recently we've both been attending the same protests, you know, the migrant hotel protests. And we got talking again and, and shook hands and decided to just stop being stupid and put all the you know the negativity and stuff behind us uh, and Angler Joe had this idea of creating a unity meeting for various organizations and he invited Patriotic Alternative and he invited four or five other organizations as well Um so we all went along and sat around this table Um, and just decided that we might not agree on everything and we might not have the same approach or solutions, but there are things that we do agree on and there are things where there's a bit of crossover crossover in our approach. So we're gonna stop um, organizing protests on the same day or on the same weekend at different events. And we're just gonna have one big protest every month that we can get everybody to and make it bigger and better. Uh, And then when it comes to elections as well, I mean, obviously, a patriotic alternative and not a political party yet, but there were groups there who are, and they were saying, I won't stand candidates in the same place as you. So there's not going to be two candidates splitting the vote now in certain areas. Um, And then another thing that we decided as well was, if you fall out with somebody, don't post about it on Telegram. Don't go and have a big rant about it or anything like that. Just sort things out behind closed doors. And it was just really positive to see. It's something that we've needed for a very long time. And since we advertised that event... We've since had four other nationalist organisations in England want to come to the next one. And there's some really big names there, actually, as well. So we're hoping that the next one, which will take place, I believe, in August or maybe September that will be even bigger and better and it's just it's going to be so good for everybody to be working together because you do this thing I think in nationalism where because you hold yourself to high standards you hold everybody else to ridiculous standards as well and you might agree with someone on 95% of things but you'll focus on the 5% that you disagree on and fall out with someone and say oh this person don't believe this or this person don't believe that it doesn't matter you know let's just behave like adults and let's work together on the things that we can work together on, because we, we already have so many enemies. You know, we're against the government. We're against the media. We're against academia. We're against all these charities and NGOs and the banks. We don't need to be falling out amongst each other. So it was a really positive thing. And everyone left feeling really enthused and looking forward to the next one. So uh, you can expect more from us in that regards.
0: Well, that, that's so extremely exciting, because I've said for a long time, and so one of the reasons I started the project that I started is because people tend to nitpick about very minor. And actually (laughs) I talked about this with Mark when I appeared on PWR, particularly the men in the movement, we tend to get a little pointlessly angry over the internet (laughs) and we, we lock horns with each other. (laughs) And it's, it's something that we just have to overcome and we have to sort of learn to say, you know, okay, we don't agree on three points of 100. We, I think we can move beyond that. And it's really nice to see that the British scene, which personally I have felt is needlessly fragmented. I felt this way for years because British content creators were the first ones I came across in my journey. So it's really nice to see that it's coalescing in a sense.
1: Yeah, and I think the, the groups that don't agree to come along, people will be asking them why they're not. Do you know what I mean? So it's like if there's a, I don't know, I mean, let's say, for example, Britain First, who's somebody that we've not spoken to. As far as I know, they're not coming along, but they are invited. And I think if everyone else is working together and then they're not and they're standing candidates in areas where our coalition has already got candidates standing, people are going to be saying to them, like, why are you not working together? So I think it will reflect badly on the people who don't put their own pride and egos before the greater good. And I do hope that that will encourage even more people to get involved.
0: Absolutely. I would love to see, I would love to see a bit of social pressure forcing the holdouts to the table and, you know, their own internal dynamics sort of pushing them to say, well, why, what's so important that we have a little separate, almost sort of marginal protest when everyone else is you know getting together to do this big grand event so it'd be really nice to see that sort of social pressure at work
1: yeah definitely i i agree with you on that
0: so there were a couple other things i really i wanted to touch on with migration here as, as we sort of fall into the last 20 minutes of the podcast i was going through the statistics because your article just oh it boiled my blood to 1.2 1.2 million migrant arrivals in 2022 and I'm forgetting the figure but wasn't wasn't the net number of like people who permanently settled over 600,000?
1: Yeah it was, it, so they basically they had a previous estimate um, which I think that they'd, they'd created in I think it was December 2022 and now looking at new figures and the new estimate they've increased that year of immigration to net immigration over 600,000 but obviously that means the total amount of people who came here take away the total amount of people who left so the total number of new people who came here was 1.2 million people and I think it was something like 80,000 of those were British but then the rest were um, I think it was like 85% of them were from outside of the EU so just massive massive amounts from outside of Europe um, exactly what the British people don't want, exactly what the British people were against when we voted for Brexit. Um, what else is there to say? It's just getting worse and worse and worse. And it's just excuse after excuse after excuse. Oh, it's a previous government. Oh, it's because of Ukraine. Oh, it's because of coronavirus and it's going to sort itself out. Rubbish. It's getting worse and worse. And You've had 13 years to sort it out and every year all you give us is excuses. Um, and, and that... I mean, our population is around 67 million people, I believe. It, it's just this is massive amounts. It's it's over one percent. In fact, that's like two percent of of the population, I believe. I think I have worked that out right. Coming in a single year, um, it's just it, it's it's just changing the country too rapidly. I don't want it to happen slowly either. Let me clarify that. But it's it's too <laughs> much. It's just too much. So, yeah. <laughs> that's why that's, we do what we do.
0: I, I, you know, really quickly pulled up Wikipedia before we started in, in the, just the net migration figures. It's basically a Leeds every year. And the overall migration figures are essentially a Birmingham every year <laughs> coming coming into Britain.
1: Yeah. And it
0: it's just a staggering amount. And, and the thing that really gets me in particular... And reminded me immediately of something I saw back when Theresa May was Home Secretary was they're aware of of sort of the massive fraud in this system. There's an old Home Office report that was covered by the BBC in 2014 where they know, for example, you have to have an English language test if you want to be a foreign university student in Britain. And they found that 50,000 of these every year are falsified tests. And approximately a hundred thousand of these people who go on on arrive to Britain on student visas disappear. They go missing in in the Home Office's words, and they bl- nice. most they mostly blame it on them being essentially economic migrants. But the point with that is that is half of all of the student visas that were issued in 2014. Yeah. So half of them are fraudulent, and. The British government just continues to to increase these numbers. The student visa numbers for 2022 were over 400,000.
1: Well, it's like with the the Afghan interpreters, which we welcome to the country. I say we, the government welcome to the country. Was it last year or the year before? Uh, There were some figures released which detailed how much the government was spending on interpreters for the Afghan interpreters who couldn't speak English. And it's like, I mean, what do you take us for? They're here because apparently they do speak English, but now the taxpayers, the British taxpayers are paying for them because they don't understand the language of our country and how how are they going to work or how are they going to contribute anything? And again, you know, they shouldn't be here anyway because they don't belong in Britain. But I don't even know what else to say about it. It's like they just take us for
0: absolute fools. It it always is remarkable. You know, the ONS releases, there's a chart on Migration Watch, the Oxford Center that watches migration in Britain. And there's a hilarious chart where they track ONS predictions of immigration and the actual numbers. And on average, it's off by 60,000. And in some years, it's over 150,000, 160,000. <laughs> How long do they think that people can you know, yeah. will people have access to this information and just think, oh, this is perfectly normal?
1: And that's only the ones that they know about as well. There'll be yeah, yeah, that's plenty true. of people that they don't even know about or oh, care
0: about. The last illegal migration population figure I could find from the Home Office was over 700,000 in Britain. And that was, that was like 2019. They haven't updated it since.
1: Yeah, I think I remember Theresa May releasing some figures about that, and it was it was close to a million. But how do they even know? Like, you can't. How How would you even estimate that if you don't know who they are? Because, like, how? Either you do know that they're here, or you don't. And if you do know, you should be doing something about it.
0: Well, we know for certain that even if whatever number they're giving us is too low. That is for sure. It's yeah. always, it's always yeah. an under it's always an underestimate, no matter what figure they give us. It's remarkable that. Uh, <laughs> and I've just remembered, it w- wasn't it Boris Johnson in his first speech to Parliament who came out and said that he wanted to give them all a resident status.
1: Yeah, amnesty. Yeah, they they keep, they keep floating it every now and again. They talk about it again and again. It's usually something to do with not being able to manage them because of the backlog or something. Therefore, we need to give them amnesty and start again um, and the, the left are kind of pushing it as well because we're complaining about the migrant hotels and then they're saying we'll give amnesty to all the you know the, the asylum seekers get them processed through quickly and, and and let them adopt British culture and all this kind of stuff and then we can start again and you don't need migrant hotels and it's like oh, that's not what we're saying like we we don't want any of them to be here we want them all to go back home
0: well, it's, it was really hilarious. I shared an article I wrote with you just two days ago about how the the Sunak government is going to publish ads in Albania telling people not to come to Britain. And I, I just have this really distinct feeling that after they publish the ads, we're going to see even larger numbers of Channel crossings. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> it's going to encourage people. I just, I just have the feeling.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's a weird one. What we need to do is, I would put out like a public broadcast and just say starting from now we're not accepting any illegals that rock up on our shores I'm making this public so if you do the journey you're risking your own lives i'm sorry if that happens but we're not accepting anymore and then you don't accept anymore and they'll soon get the message when they're not welcomed that we're not accepting anymore and they'll stop coming over but at the moment because we keep accepting everyone who come and we're sailing out to the sea and getting them and bringing them here miles and miles away and we're bringing them here and because we're doing that they have an incentive to come because they know that they'll be accepted but if we stopped accepting them they would soon realize this is not working you know i'm not going to get through to britain and they'll stop coming that's the only thing that we can do i know it's ruthless and i hope that nobody risks the lives of their children to do that but it is what it is you know we have to look out for our children's safety as well and, and our kids are safe at the moment you know there are lots of cases of people being followed home from school Um, I was speaking to a, w- a woman in Skegness when we did a demo down there she had five children and she said that her kids kept being approached in the park and, and that her kids can't play in the park anymore because they've got foreign men coming over and you know chatting them up and grabbing hold of them and stuff so we have to look out for the safety of our own people and the only thing that we can do is stop incentivizing them to come over here in the first place.
0: Absolutely. I, I wrote about it in the article that I don't understand because the, and I've I've said this in so many posts. The British state is one of the most well-resourced states, not, not only in the world, but in human history. It would be extremely easy to if they do make it to shore. And I agree with you, we shouldn't. The British state shouldn't be going out and picking them up. But if they do make it to shore. You just immediately put them on a bus straight to a plane like this is I I, I forget what article I wrote about it in. But if Britain deported every illegal immigrant who arrived to the country, it would increase air traffic at Heathrow by less than one percent. It was like zero point eight six percent. This is this is not a resource intensive idea.
1: And I would be happy for my tax to go on that. I think a lot of people would be happy to pay tax. For these flights to send these people back home.
0: Well, I, they'll stop. They'll stop coming after a month or two of just immediately deporting them. Yeah. It, but, it, you know, the, it, as I always say, it's not a matter of smart policy. It's a matter of there not being any political will in Westminster to do these things. Rishi yeah. Sunak looks, the conservative com- looks out on the Conservative conference and says that he's going to tackle migration and then immigration numbers <laughs> are over a million
1: yeah they do this they do the same and and they say the same every time, and the result is the same and and we expect it
0: oh i've i've given up I've given up thinking that they're ever going to that they're ever going to solve that the, that the Tories will ever be capable of solving the problem, and I just really wish that people would sort of stop falling back on them as a cushion yeah well, Laura. I think that about covers everything that I wanted to covers or anything else that you would like to talk about. Uh, no, not
1: really. Um, just thank you for inviting me on. And well, thank uh, you
0: so much for agreeing to come on.
1: Oh, you're welcome. And I hope that I did okay when uh, Cyan wasn't here. Um, and I'll, I'll get it shared as well once it's up because I know that all of our activists and, and supporters are big fans of, of you guys. So yeah, I'm sure they'd love to hear us talking together.
0: Well, thank you very much. We actually have quite a few, about 20% of the substack are British followers, and there are hundreds and hundreds of <laughs> British followers on the two Telegram pages, so I, I try to put out some regular content relating to Britain, because they they certainly deserve it. They, you, Your people have been wonderfully supportive, you've been wonderfully supportive of the project, and so has Mark, so I'm very grateful.
1: Oh, you're welcome, and and thank you for the um, support that you've given to us as well you know highlighting the things that we've done and and helping us to create documents for our website uh it's it, yeah it's brilliant and it's always to such a high standard as well so thank you
0: oh i try my best well uh, <laughs> goodbye goodbye laura and goodbye everyone and i will see everyone next week goodbye everyone take care Stay